Yes, ladies and gentlemen, thank you once again for joining us here on INC Live and for the UFC 284 preview show. My name is Carl Bermage and I am joined by the man on the right-hand side of my screen. He is the Mike Baldwin to my Ken Barlow. It's Joe Neal. Joe, thank you very much for joining me. Glad to be here. Glad to be the edge to the Christian. Or uh, you can pick whoever, which one you want. They're both, you can't go wrong with either. And uh, I'm I think I'd rather take Christian, to... actually. Yeah, he's he's doing really well right now. And uh, with Edge, you have, uh, you know, some I, I have memories of fond memories of both. So I'm, I'm OK with either. You, know, you can't go wrong. And I will say you have made an extra special effort to uh, tune in today because you're a little bit under the weather. It's uh, safe to say. Yeah, I got some allergies. Uh, it's been just randomly hit me this morning and I've been sneezing uh, all throughout <laughs> the morning now. It's not, not fun. I keep telling you, Joe, what you need, you need a nice, good pot of English tea. I I do, honestly. It's uh, I, I drink a lot of tea when I was working uh, in the, at an Italian restaurant. Like, I drank a lot of tea, hot tea, constantly, and I, I feel like I was never sick. <laughs> Outside of, like, the occasional plague or something. Yeah. Well, we could be spending uh, all afternoon talking about Joe's allergies, but... We are here to talk about mixed martial arts and UFC 284, which is going to be taking place in Australia. So it's our first Australian event for goodness knows how long. Uh, and it's going to be UFC 284 and one of the biggest fights for a lot of hardcore fans as the pound for pound number one fighter in the world looks to try and become a double champion. Joe, it promises to be a pretty interesting one, but I think the big conversation that's been um, circling regarding this card is... Yes, the hardcore fans are looking forward to this one, but not many more people outside of that. The lack of promotion in this card is creating a lot of controversy. Oh, yeah. It's because they're too interested promoting their uh, their slap fighting uh, instead. Um, you know, which I, I think is uh, one level of a smarter plan than, uh, than their other previous plan of who wants to get stabbed. There have been, like, obviously, Islam Markachev has been quite vocal about the UFC not doing enough to sell the match, which you can understand mm. for good reason. Obviously, he's trying to defend his title. Volkanovsky's got all of his permutations, which we'll get to later on in the show. In your opinion, whose job is it to sell a fight? Because this has been quite divisive among the fan bases. There's some people thinking the UFC is a promotion. It's their job to promote a fight. But there's others saying... Yes, the UFC need to promote, but you need to give them reason to do that. They're not going to push anyone unless you push yourself. Which sort of side do you take? I, I think it's on. Uh, I think it's it, it, it does require both. Um, but if I, I look at it this way, uh, it, it's everyone wants to say the UFC is a fight organization is like their little defense. It's it is, but it's also a promotion. Like that's their goal. Um, they, we've clearly seen that they can put the resources out there to promote fighters, um, but they only seem to want to promote their little golden boys or their people that they personally like. And typically, yes, those are people who want to are willing to promote themselves. But at the end of the day, uh, not everybody has the gift of gab. You know, not everybody can do that. But you can be an incredible, exciting fighter. Like Carlos Condon is one of my most most exciting fighters to watch ever, and the, he was just a nice, quiet guy. You know. Uh, that's, that's someone, you know, you could like definitely could have promoted 
to the stars and beyond. And he was because of WEC uh, being a champion for so long there. But uh, I think it's got to be maybe like an 80-20 split, 80% the promotion and 20% the fighter. Uh, and all, and because my opinion, all the fighter has to do is not be unlikable. And like you, that you've done what you can do, you know, at the minimum. Someone made the analogy, which I think is absolutely perfect. The UFC will help push the bandwagon, but only if you kickstart the horse to get it started. That's a that's actually a pretty good analogy. Um, I think that's very fair for what is happening, for sure. Um, I just don't think that's fair. I, I, I you know, uh, these guys are not making great money, let's be honest, uh, 90% of the time. And they have to train like that's they have like one of the hardest jobs, which is just training and preparing and weight cutting for a fight. They have to do all the stuff like that. Uh, they have to do, you know, interviews regardless, even if they're tired, beat up. Uh, they got hit up by USADA at 4 a.m. when they were trying to sleep uh, for their three hours a day. They can sleep. Um, it's kind of hard to kind of be charismatic and energetic and talk and get fans excited when you got all these like outside factors playing in. Um so I think, you know, to be fair, I think they sh fighters should get some help from their promotion, especially if you're a champion, you know, uh, or at least an up and coming, like up and coming guy, give them a little bit of promotion. But like a champion, um, it, it feels almost disrespectful that the, the, the promotion just like, yeah, you're yeah, he's fighting. That's it. One fighter that never had any issue when it came to promoting himself was Conor McGregor. I'm bringing this up because it's very rare we get sort of instant reaction stuff on this channel, but we did get some. It was just over an hour ago. It was announced Conor McGregor will be returning to UFC screens. He will be coaching on The Ultimate Fighter. He'll be coaching alongside Michael Chandler. And when the season is finished, those two will square off for Conor's comeback fight. So instant reaction, Joe, we seldom do this on this channel. What's your opinion? Uh, I had a good laugh. Um, talking about it uh, before the show when I was with my uh, with my friend, I was like, "Yeah, I guess that's a thing." Uh, and then he instantly said, "It's because Connor needs more time to cycle off." And I went, "Yeah, that's fair." Um, <laughs> that's that was our reaction. We're not Connor fans, though. I'm sure Connor fans are excited. I have friends and relatives that are Connor fans. I'm sure they they lost it. Uh, sort of your first instinct. Who do you think is going to win that one? I think Michael Chandler. Um, I think Connor can catch him though, like and really crack him. But uh, I, I, whenever like Connor takes a lot of time off, I always kind of question his preparation. You know, especially like recently, like you know, uh, with all the controversies he's had, like or not, they're all minor. They're all like very minor controversies uh, lately. But like he got sued by Artem Lobov. Uh, he's looked like he looks like he's on the the stuff. Pride fighters lived off of for years, walking out, walking around, looking like a fire hydrant in shorts, um, and like he's been just huge, and it doesn't seem natural. All, all the like, all the like outside factors, I always kind of question that. Uh, but that said, I, you know, Connor can definitely catch Chandler, who's got very, very sloppy defense, especially after he throws the right hand. Um, that's how Charles Oliveira caught him. He didn't close the door on his striking. Left hook came in. Uh, that's Connor's power side, definitely. Uh, I, who's primarily a counter striker in Connor, so I think he can definitely catch him. But I, I think Chandler's gonna, you know, try and crowd him, get him to the floor, and kind of beat him up. 
we can look forward to that fight around sort of July or August time. Our attention now is going to be back on UFC 284. So it's our first UFC event taking place in Australia since October 2019. That was UFC 243. And I think it's great that we're going back to all of these new countries. We were in Brazil last month, which I thought was a pretty solid show. The crowd maybe put a bit of a dampener on things. You sort of brought that up on your recap. But I have to be honest, though, as good as it is to be in Australia, and as great as the Aussie fans are, they're really passionate about MMA, I don't find Aussie cards to be the best in terms of quality. You usually get, like, one good main, maybe a decent core main, but the undercard does seem to lack a little bit. For sure. It's... I, I don't understand why, like, I, I, last, last month's card was pretty stacked, I thought, looking at it top to bottom, and it was the first card of the year, so... Definitely, you could say, like, oh, they want to get on the right foot kind of thing. But uh, they typically don't kind of stack the Aussie cards, in, which is odd because I, I go, well, they're consistently some of the better fans, I think, in, for the sport. Good good ambassadors because that's part of it. You know, fans, whether they want to – life fans are, are, like, almost ambassadors in a way for the people who fight before watching it randomly when someone has it on or if they're playing it. How much of this do you think is the UFC sort of catering to the local audience? that they, they sort of almost by default need to have people like like the Jamie Malarkeys of the world to fill out the cards. It's like, we're going to be going to London next month, and you can almost guarantee that you're going to be getting, like, Danny Roberts will probably be on there mm -hmm. somewhere. Um, obviously, Joanne Calderwood. You'll have just the usual oh, yeah. suspects always appearing on the local shores, and it's maybe a bit of that when it comes to the UFC. I think they definitely do that. Like It's like um, when they go to Brazil, you know, they have a Brazilian in every fight, basically, at least one, typically. But yeah, um, I think it's something that uh, we're going to be uh, looking at in a lot more detail. Um, I could tell you, um, it's allergies, isn't it, Joe? Yeah, I uh, I was trying to get through that, and I'm glad I did, because I was fighting. I was fighting it. <laughs> yep. Well, we will talk about some of these local fighters in a lot more detail. We're going to be talking about the prelims. You can see those on our screen right now. And as mentioned before, we've got a lot of local talent, which is um, filling out the undercard. A couple of fighters from Asia as well, which we'll get into in a lot more detail. I think if you're looking for a notable name from the prelims, the one that really stands out for me is Tyson Pedro. Now, we all make some pretty bad predictions when it comes to shows like this. And one of the worst ones I made was I said Tyson Pedro would be a top five light heavyweight. Obviously, things haven't gone to plan since then, but he is in the midst of a comeback. He got a pretty bad injury when he fought Shogun Hewa. He's in the midst of a comeback. He's won his last two fights in a row. And he's taking a semi-step up in quality. Modeskis Bukowskis, who was mm. released from the UFC a couple of years ago, he's mm. stepping in on short notice. Um... What do you think is Tyson Pedro's ceiling? Do you think he could sort of meet those expectations that many fought early in his career? I think he can be top 10, maybe. That's kind of where I kind of think. Um, his two fights back haven't been against the best competition. But, uh, what do you mean? Happy son, Sucker Paul. Ah, uh, you know, that was one of my first preview shows ever. I remember that one vividly. Harry Huntsucker is the GOAT. Uh, nothing against him. <laughs> uh, but... Uh, he's won both his fights coming back, uh, both by kicks, you know, which is uh, very rare at 205, I feel like. I feel like at 205, it's mostly like a punch, knee, elbow kind of way of finishing guys. You know, that's what made Krokop so interesting 
at heavyweight, he's like one of the few heavyweights that could really kick uh, kind of thing. But um, so like Tyson Pedro with his kicking game, I think his kicking game is very good. Um, I think a really fun fight to find out who deserves the number next to their name, uh, if he does well here, um, would be like Khalil Roundtree, another great kicker at 205. I love that uh, fight. I do like oh, that fight. Yeah, I, I love matching kickers against each other. Um, big fan, I'll, I'll say this later on, I'm a big fan of uh, the guys who specialize in, and, and nothing against the other parts, but the skill aspects of mixed martial arts, like your specialists almost, like, uh, like a Damian Maya on the ground or with their wrestling, I kind of like watching the, the skill aspects of uh, of the sport really shine for guys. Um, and Tyson Pedro's got some really good kicks. Um, I I really, the the Modestus Bukowskis, him coming back, I'm actually kind of pumped for. I'm because, glad to see him back. I yeah. thought his cut was quite harsh, in my opinion, because he faced some tough competition first time around. <laughs> oh, man, it's killing me. Um, not only that was... He had the really bad injury that was like the talk of the town with Khalil Roundtree. And it's like he got cut because of that. And I was like, oh, come on. That's not fair. You know? Some of the other names that might uh, take people's attention, obviously, Jim Malarkey. We mentioned him earlier before. He's back in action, taking on a UFC newcomer, Francisco Prado. The one that I'm most interested, though, I think this could be a very interesting fight, potentially an entertaining fight. Uh, Joshua Kulabau versus Melsic Baktasarian. I I had a prediction that you were going to bring up a card on the under a fight on the undercard, and it was not this one. I was wrong. You caught me off guard here. I think you know which one I'm going to be thinking about. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I have I researched it just for today. <laughs> um, yeah, that fight could be pretty good too. I mean, uh, I was obviously looking forward to the Jamie Malarkey one. Um, he's I think he's like prime boy material, Jamie Malarkey. Um, he's. Uh, kind of sloppy, but a fun finisher and really kind of goes for the finish. Like his fight with Michael Johnson last year was really fun. Um, and, uh, oh, I forgot who he KO'd. He KO'd him on, I think he was the opening fight for Nganu's Stipe card two years ago, I think. Uh, Kama Worthy. Yeah, that fight was awesome. Uh, <laughs> that fight was really fun. Uh, I had a friend who doesn't really watch fights over that night and he, he was just like, Whoa! Like at the uh, at just the out of nowhere left hook landing. I always feel Malaki always looks sad though. He's just got one of those faces where you just you just look at someone in the eyes and you just always seem really upset. I feel like Malaki has one of those faces. I always feel a bit sorry for him. That's a good emotion to fight with though. You know, he's probably sad. He he probably visualizes uh, something terrible being done to him by the other fighter getting in there and like this guy took my dog away. You know, I know my dad gave away my dog, but he's the one. He didn't have to say yes to it and uh, gets in there and, you know, takes his revenge out internally <laughs> on yeah. it or something. I was going to talk about Kulabal versus Bagdasarian, but since you did the research on it, um, I'm going to guess you wanted to talk about Loma versus Elise Reed. Yeah, I, uh, I, 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 in my notes, the first line I have is, you know Carl's going to bring this up, be prepared. So, and Good I did. Strawway fights. Uh-huh. Unranked women fights on the undercard. Let's do this, you know. And uh, I actually rewatched uh, the Luma Angela Hill fight um, in preparation for this. Not a bad fight, actually. It's pretty good. Um, but uh, I remember—I I remember some of Elise Reed's fights coming in or looking back. And with Luma, 
the big thing I remember is, you know, TIE Fighter uh, in the clinch. She likes her trips. Um, but she she acts like actually kind of an – like her, her, you know, the TIE Fighting, like, pedigree she has, she kind of lives up to it. You know, her and Angel Hill had a really good back and forth in the striking. And uh, so I, I think this fight actually, you know what? I think I'm, I'm with you. This could be a very entertaining uh, <laughs> unranked strawweight fight on the undercard for sure. Fight number one, we're going to be starting off on our main card. And obviously, we mentioned all of the Australian fighters who are appearing on this show. And we've got another one who's opening up the card, as he did back at UFC 234, which were, I believe was the last time we were in Perth. It's Jimmy Crute who is defending his place in the light heavyweight rankings. And he's doing so against the resurgent Alonzo Menefield. Betting mm. odds for this one, you can get Crute at minus 230. Menefield comes in at plus 195. I actually think this is good matchmaking from the UFC. Jimmy Crute is on a two-fight losing streak. Quite humbling losses in their own respective ways to Anthony Smith and to the current champion, Jamal Hill. He took yeah. a year off from fighting to try and reassess himself. What's your personal opinion on that, Joe? Like, in terms of... Do you believe the fighters should be staying active to sort of, like, try and immediately shake off any sort of ill feeling? Or do you think it's better for a fighter to maybe take... A year, a year and a bit's break to reassess themselves and then come back a fresh, reinvented fighter. I think it depends on your age itself and how much mileage you have in the tank uh, or have on you. I guess you could say um, Jimmy Crute's young, like, and he he has the, he has a good experience. But I think it was a very good, smart play for him to take that time off to reassess things. Um, I don't think there's, I I don't like the idea of like, oh man, I've lost two in a row. I just got to keep going at it. It's like I feel like that that sounds like. You know, the old adage of uh, uh, keep, you know, headbutting a mountain until it moves. Um, I think it could very kind of fall into that. So I really like him taking the time away to reassess the situation and, you know, kind of try to clean himself up in a sense. Uh, plug some holes in his games. Maybe not not quite reinvent the wheel. I think it's really hard to reinvent the wheel um, in MMA, especially at the higher level. And... Uh, Jimmy Crute's got a lot of upside still. I, I, he's he was young whenever he left. He's still young now, um, and I, I think like him taking the time away, you know, maybe kind of clean up his boxing defense. Uh, maybe some of his like his striking defense was definitely where he was hurting him because um, in the Anthony Smith fight he had it was like kind of a freak leg injury, but it came from not checking low kicks. So Smith was jabbing him up throughout through that first round. Oh, yeah. Much, much cleaner striker, much cleaner guy. And uh, Jimmy Crude, who isn't a slouch on the striking himself, but it's there's a difference, uh, you know, not I, even though he's very unlikable right now. But a Anthony Smith is is a very good striker for sure. Like they're going to give him a lot of credit. He's very, very good in the striking realm. So uh, no, no real shame, I thought, in Jimmy Crude losing to those two. Um, but at the same time, when you when you're world-class fighter you have that confidence that you shouldn't lose to anybody kind of thing uh taking time to reassess it I, I think that's a very very good move from him and i would say as well the striking defense is mainly the only sort of weakness that people think of when it comes to jimmy crude big thing that stands out for me he is a very good all-rounder physical for the weight class um mm. i think he's got good conditioning we've seen him go for finishes later on in the fight and for a guy who's primarily known for his striking I think his grappling is very underrated. He's hard to keep down. And today, submitting Paul Craig, when Paul Craig's bread and butter, is the grappling game. 
that's a big yeah. feather in your cap. Yeah, for me, uh, it's I, I always hear people bring up his striking first and foremost, and I go, really? I, I think of him as a grappler. You know, I, I think of him because uh, he, he did he Kimura, Paul Craig? I believe so, yeah. It was either a Kimura or an Americana. I'm not entirely yeah. sure off the top of my head, but... If it's a Kimura, uh, I can't remember at the top of my head. I, I always remember it as a Kimura, so I should have looked that one up to specifics. But if it's a Kimura, I can say that that's a that's a little awkward of a submission to what went to finish. That that shows how strong he is because the Kimura is like is a strength submission. It's uh, kind of two two arms and your body weight against just one limb, which is a lot of submissions. But it's almost like a strongman submission. Like the stronger you are, the easier it is to really finish those Kimura locks. Um, if it's an Americana, that's even more impressive in the sense of that's really hard to set up. It's awkward to kind of snatch. Uh, I feel like a lot of fighters don't look for it, to be fair, but when you do snatch it, uh, it's a little more rewarding because it doesn't require as much torque and leverage, I feel, um, to kind of finish. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think of Jimmy Cruz as like a grappler. I mean, I think like the first fight I saw of him live was a was a, a, a KO or TKO, but I you know doing my research for him in preparation for that Anthony Smith fight because I was like dude this Jimmy Crew guy's unbeaten blah blah, blah. like I, I gotta check this guy out I was like oh he I like his grappling almost more um, very well rounded can kind of you know be a finisher from anywhere which I love especially at 205 and uh, call me crazy I think 205 needs Jimmy Crew because 205 needs young guys so does heavyweight they, they need these young up-and-coming guys to really uh get ready to lead the division in like five six seven years uh but crude is going to have to try and defend his place in the rankings and he's doing so against alonzo menefield 13 and 3 he is on a two-fight winning streak he beat misha serkinov and i believe that was serkinov's last fight before he got released by the ufc i'm not entirely sure about that but outside of Menafield, he also has wins over Paul Craig, Ed Herman, and of course, the greatest fighter of all time, Askar Mazarov. <laughs> I was like, oh, greatest fighter ever. I was like, well, you've already said Paul Craig, so who, who, could, it, who could it be? Don't speak ill of my boy. I know no, the Johnny no, Walker I, fight didn't go well, but... I'm just upset that I picked your boy, one of my, bo one of my, one of my favorites too, and you didn't, and then you ended up being right. <laughs> um but no i i actually think minifield's pretty underrated i think uh, he's made definite improvements because the big thing that stood out for me from minifield was obviously he carries a truckload of muscle and if he does catch you in the first round you're going down and a, that's the source of a lot of his victories i think i think he's had 10 wins nine of them have come in the first round like 10 knockouts nine in the first round so that's when he yeah. gets it done but if you're able to do what Devin Clark did, get him out that first round, he's vulnerable. Yeah. I do think uh, he has made improvements in this regard, though. He was able to go to distance to beat Ed Herman. And yeah, mm -hmm. Ed Herman took a lot of damage, so maybe didn't put up as much of a fight when it came to the later rounds. But I definitely think he has made improvements. And of course, he's was working. Was it low for... kicks, wasn't it, in that fight, if I remember I, correctly? I believe so, yeah. Yeah. Um, and also as well, he's working with Fortis, who are in a fantastic run of form right now. Oh, yeah. I, I think he's made some very interesting improvements. He seems almost like a glass cannon in this division, in the sense of he can get caught. We, we saw OSP catch him 
who has a lot of power but doesn't have the most technique uh, in the striking, uh, I'm willing to admit. But, um, yeah, I... He's, like, not... He's looked pretty good as of late. Uh, his fight with William Knight was one of the craziest weigh-ins and, like, standoffs I've ever seen because both guys are built like a superhero. They both, like... It was unbelievable going. Like they're two oh five. Like what is this? Like they they look they're just monsters, uh, of just pure muscle. Looking at him, um, but yeah, I, I think he his his cardio has improved significantly, which is a huge step up for him. Um, but man, he's got big power. He can submit people. He's most likely going to knock you out if he is going to win. That's is definitely where you can do it. But he has some submission wins. I think he had a. Was it? I think it was a neck crank. No, it was a shoulder crank. Maybe he had an interesting little like kind of made it up on the fly, but it definitely it's definitely going to work. Submission win not that long ago, I feel like. But um, yeah, he's. I think he's underrated. Like I feel like people because you know he had a really rough run of form for a while. I think people were kind of writing him off, and I think in MMA we're very quick to just go, "Oh, you've lost how many fights in a row? Yeah, all right." You know, even though people will improve, like uh, Phil Hawes is another guy. I think of that. Uh, I feel like people say that too. Uh, after Chris Curtis knocked him out, and uh, it was like, okay, well, you know. And then uh, another guy, Chris Curtis, knocked out recently, but like Joaquin Buckley was another guy like that. Um, and uh, no, Manafield's actually like of those guys, all kind of similar, you know, kind of reception and everything like that. Towards um, he's, I think, made the most improvements, and I think he's made the biggest leaps and bounds in his. Uh, strive to improve as a fighter, which is fantastic. That's what you. That's what you want to see. Once again, in a division like 205, it's very rare. It's very awesome. It's great to see. And I know the Mazawa fight ended up becoming a bit of a meme fight because of all the stuff around Oscar before the fight. But yeah, for Menafield's credit, we did see another wrinkle in his game. He made it very grappling heavy, which we hadn't seen from him for the majority of his time in the UFC. So again, it's just another sort of layer to the men of field recipe as well. It's a big, big upset win for him too. You know, how do you beat a guy with a record, record like that? Uh, you know, <laughs> uh, that, that guy was beating ghosts, imaginary people on his record. How do you stop that? All in the first round as well. Yeah, I've got the feeling there's going to be a lot of this and obviously we can't help the um, nature, mother nature coming yeah. to avenge us. They don't like MMA. Liam, I know. Liam Neeson and Mother Nature don't like MMA. <laughs> yeah, he said something recently I saw. I was like, okay, all right. It's like, that's that's fine, Liam Neeson, and, you know. <laughs> so um, we've got two interesting situations happening here. We've got a guy who's maybe on the back foot, desperately looking to keep himself relevant with a win against a guy who's starting to maybe find his feet a bit more. So it's going to be an intriguing matchup. Joe, after you've managed to uh, get over your coughing fit, which way are you going for this one? Uh, I'm leaning Jimmy Crute by submission. I think I could see him kind of surviving that first round, um, and then from there, maybe tagging Minifield. Minifield's been working on his grappling. Maybe he wants to try and take Jimmy, uh, Jimmy Crute down, and from there, I think Jimmy Crute can get the submission win. I'm good at I think being... second or third round, I, I think. I think Jimmy Crute is the better fighter of the two. Mm-hmm. And I think especially if he gets past the first round, I can see him taking control. But 
Menafield's always going to be dangerous in that first round just because he carries so much power. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So if Menafield was to win this in the first round, I wouldn't be surprised, but I am going oh, with yeah. Crote. Yeah, I, I think a, a big weapon that could be interesting, I think a body kick would be really nice by Crute to kind of like the straight line kicks. Because if I remember right, I think they're the same height. And I that means like the leg, you know, reach might be a little bit better for like, so straight line kicks would be pretty nice. Uh, you can kind of gas the tank a little bit, but uh, I definitely agree with your assessment of, yeah, if it's, if a, long, if a minifield is going to win, it's definitely going to be in the first round. And the good advantage of a body kick as well is for a guy who had cardio issues to try oh, yeah. and sap that by attacking the body. Oh, yeah. It's putting money in the bank, they say. You know, just put money in the bank. And it's going to add up real quick. It's a good thing we're talking about cardio issues as well because uh, we're going up to the heavyweight division. And so, Joe, I have a question for you to open up this second part of the show. What's your favorite Parker Porter fight? Oh, man. Um, uh, Chase Sherman. We'll go with that one. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I'm so lost. At why is this is on the main card? Um, I actually uh, did some research about this. I actually posted this online just before we started recording. Um, mm-hmm. There are, I believe, six fighters in the UFC who, have never, who are currently ranked in the top five of their weight class would have never appeared on a pay-per-view main card. And on that list, you've got people like Arnold Allen, uh, you've got Amanda Lemos on there, and you've got Alexander Rakic. Those three fighters have never appeared on a pay-per-view main card, but Justin Tarfer and Parker Porter have. Awesome. Um, that's so awesome. <laughs> um, I, I, I was like going, why this one when you could have had Tyson Pedro... Modestus Bukowski gets on the main card. Yeah. I mean, to his credit, Tafa is incredibly explosive, and he has created some entertaining fights. Uh, there was that one at Fight Island. It was the Holloway versus Cater card. Um, I can't remember who he fought. Carlos Felipe. And that is just a fantastic, like, sort of unranked heavyweight fat guy war. Oh, yeah. This is uh, this is the sloppy, unranked heavyweight scrap on the card. And Justin Tafa's going to bring it every time for that. Yep. Well, we'll talk about Tarf in a bit more detail since you brought that up. Uh, five and three records, so he's still very inexperienced in his career. Uh, currently has a two and three record in the UFC. Um, those two wins coming against our boy, Harry Hunsucker and Juan Adams. Uh, three pay-per-view main card appearances. All five of these wins have come by KO, but he also has a bit of an unwanted record. He is, at the moment, the only UFC heavyweight ever to miss weight for his fight. Wasn't he 268? 268. Yeah. Not just by like a pound, but like three whole pounds. It's crazy. I thought it would have been like Carmen or something back in the day, but nope, it's it's Justin Taffa. I believe Justin Willis uh, was going to miss weight, but he Mm. withdrew from the fight before he actually hit the skills. Smart. That's smart. (laughs) Yeah, what happened happened to Justin Willis? He was, like, was like a top 10 heavyweight at one point, and then yeah. his blade smashed him, and then he just seemed to disappear. Just gone. Like, the Curtis Blades effect. You know? he, went, he went home and worked on his wrestling. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean uh, the Curtis Blades effect, man. You know, he just, if he, if he gets you down and does that to you, then, well, all right. Yeah. You know, oh, 
We are memeing a lot here. Let's try and talk about some positives. We'll start with Justin Tartha first and foremost. What are the big things, in your opinion, that stand out when it comes to Tartha? He's like, uh, he kind of, I, I hate to kind of like make the comparison, but I've heard people compare him to uh, a, this is a little mean, but uh, an undercard Mark Hunt is what I've heard. And I don't know if that's necessarily fair because I, I don't remember ever seeing Mark Hunt throw a high kick. And Justin Tafa can. He is surprisingly uh, agile. Very pretty limber for a uh, for the uh, a man of his um, of his build. I go back, I go, that's the word I'm thinking of. Yeah, um, he's got the kind of you know some like the the typical like you know kind of Samoan uh, like build going on. Very wide, shorter, uh, but pretty limber actually. Um, and he's got a lot of power. Uh, he doesn't really check low kicks, which, I, if I remember correctly, I don't think he really checks low kicks, but he just hits so hard. He's got, he seems pretty tough, like he can take a decent shot, um, and everyone at heavyweight can put almost anybody out. That's just kind of the nature of the game. He doesn't quite have his, uh, you know, the Mark Hunt-esque chin, but no, uh, typically, you know, he's he could take a good amount of punishment um, and keep going forward, and uh, all his gas tank isn't there. That first round, the first, like, minute and a half is terrifying, because if he lands relatively clean on you, uh, your head's going into the second row. Because the big thing that stands out about the uh, the Harry Hunsucker knockout, which was a head kick, but that head kick was blocked by Hunsucker. But Tafa threw it with such force, it still put him out. It's just amazing. It's, you're, sw you're swinging a baseball bat at someone's head, essentially. You know, it's like, that's like the... Uh, well, in, well, most people, for no, most normal people, it's like swinging a baseball bat uh, at, at someone uh, when you throw a kick. For Justin Toffa, who's got huge legs and is a heavyweight, it's probably more accurate to throwing a car at somebody. Um, and <laughs> uh, at least like a, hard, like a big bicycle, at least throwing someone at him. And uh, yeah, I remember that exactly. Like he, he was against the cage and he takes it and just the, the force just knocked him down and it was... He was basically out when he landed, um, which is very impressive. Very, very impressive. Let's talk about Parker Porter in a lot more detail here. Now, he has got a lot more experience than Justin Tartha. This is going to be his 20th fight in mixed martial arts. 3-2 uh, and two records so far in the UFC. All of these wins are coming in the distance. So we've had Chase Sherman, as you mentioned. He's also beaten Josh Parisian and Alain Bardot, which I believe was his most recent win. Uh, he's never lost going in the distance um, in his entire MMA, MMA career. Um, he's fought at every weight the entirety of his run so far, except in 2008. He made a rare venture to 205, and he was knocked out by some guy called John Jones. Weird. Uh, I think that guy's fighting again soon, they say. Yeah, um, <laughs> isn't he on like, like some regional show in Vegas or something like that? Yeah, he's fighting here at Lucky Star Casino in Oklahoma City. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, I guarantee yeah. you that John Anik or Dominic Cruz, whoever's on the commentary booth, will mention Jones versus Porter during the, during the preview for this fight. Absolutely. I heard it on the last time I saw Parker Porter Friday, which I think was Chase Sherman. Uh, last time I think I saw him fight live. And uh, I think I hear, I think I hear, I think I've heard that almost every time I've, uh, get pulled up like Parker Porter fight week and they show his fight on Twitter. Um, but yeah, uh, 
he's uh, he's a grinder for sure, man. You know, he's definitely wants to get in there, kind of just kind of grind out a win. Very you know meat and potatoes kind of guy in the sense of uh, he's not looking to be flashy. He's looking to just go in, get the job done. And you know, honestly, um, if I remember, right, I think he's on a two fight winning streak right now. He's not. I think he was on or a three-fight it... winning streak, and then Gilton Almeida did Gilton Almeida things. That is what happened, which is a snap kick into double leg into why win the fight. fight. Yeah, and unless you can deal with it, he's going to keep doing it, and uh, it's going to be a while at heavyweight, sadly. Uh, <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, he's a grinder. He's going to come in there and uh, against a guy like Justin Taffa, who has a very questionable gas tank, this is probably a pretty rough matchup in the sense of, well, if you can't get him out of there in the first round, you know what this guy is going to do to you for two rounds. He's going to just make you make you deal with him for the next 10, next, uh, next 10 minutes and not, not much you can do about it kind of thing. Um, like with Chase Sherman, uh, Chase Sherman is gassing out and just frustrated. He can't seem to put the guy away. And then here he loses the decision, if I remember correctly. And uh, Josh Parisian, I remember kind of that same way as well. Um, this is a kind of a funnier matchup on the card of the guy who can typically knock out anybody if he lands, but he's got three minutes uh, before it just, you know, the, the gas tank hits E. Yeah, I will say, like, for a guy of Parker Porter's girth, his physique, you sort of expect him to be as similar to Justin Tarfer. You expect him to gas out in, say, the first three minutes. But the one thing that has stood out for me when doing research on this guy is he does have pretty good conditioning for a man of his size. It's what won him the fight against Alan Bardor. And as you mentioned before, the Chase Sherman fight as well. Um, I do have some concerns when it comes to some of the striking when it comes to Parker Porter, though, because he does like to go for that big right-hand overhand. He uses that to try... Basically, he's, it's the first thing he throws before he sets up a combination, but as he does so, if you notice, he's leaning his chin forward. So if you time a big uppercut on him, you're going down. Remember right, Justin Taffa is a... Uh, he's a southpaw as well. Mm. So... I, I can't remember how good the lead hand is of Justin Taffa. Because if you had a, if you had a really good lead hand, you could definitely get, like, you know, a good check hook in there, potentially. But uh, another thing, too, is the distance uh, from or, uh, is going to be very, pretty interesting. You know, trying to reach all the way over. Uh, but the right hand is very open because it's trying to punch into the open side guard uh, of a southpaw fighter. Hmm. Uh, definitely interesting because I remember Parker Porter. If I remember, is orthodox, but Justin Taffa, I always think of a southpaw at the top of my head. Um, so I think that kick against Harry Hunsucker was a left high kick, crow cop style. I, I believe. I think it might have been. Yeah. Um, yeah. I know when this fight was booked, Justin Taffa said part of the reason he took this fight was he explicitly wanted to fight in Australia. Because the last time he fought in Australia, it was that card of the Etihad, 60,000 people, and he got knocked out in the first minute by Jorgen de Castro. So he explicitly wants to try and avenge that fight. Will he do so? He's a minus 140 favorite. You can get Parker Porter at plus 120. So two big unranked heavyweights. Which way is this one going to go? 
I think Justin Toffa probably gets it done. Uh, if he does it in that first, like, two, three minutes, though, I can see him gassing. Um, and then I think from there, it's Parker Porter going to put on us a, a really rough fight on the main card because, you know, it's one gassed heavyweight against a guy who is more of a grinder, wants to just kind of grind you out, and he's not really doesn't have the finishing prowess uh, of, uh, of other heavyweights. Uh, nothing wrong with that. Not everybody can be that crazy finisher. Um, and we're, we're looking at a – saying that out loud honestly makes me want to be, be risky and pick Parker Porter. And I will. You know what? I'm going to pick Parker Porter to survive the first three minutes. And then we're going to have a, a, a very interesting fight, I guess, for the next two rounds of extra, uh, the next 12 minutes. I think the UFC are definitely banking on Tarpa winning this one early, being the hometown yeah. fighter and bearing the kind of the fighting style that Parker Porter likes to utilize. So it's, um, I think it could very well backfire on them unless Tarpa gets it done. Yeah. Well, another thing too I just not thought about too is Parker Porter is, um, he's a pressure fighter and being pressured is exhausting. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, I feel like I'm ragging a lot on Justin Toffa's cardio, but uh, it's heavyweight. It's the truth. It's uh, that's that's how my interpretation and analysis of it uh, seems to be. Hopefully, you'll be a lot more optimistic when it comes to fight number three. We're going up to the welterweight division, and what I'd like to call action alley, because when you get to sort of like the lower rankings of the welterweight division, and you've got all these guys like Nico Price. Michelle Pereira, um, Abdul Al-Hassan, Tim Means, Matt Brown, who just always seem to put on fantastic match after fantastic match. My boy, Santiago Ponzinibbio. Ponzi's on there as well. Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah, so you've got plenty of guys on there. There's also another name as well, Brian Barberina. Of course, Brian Barberina. Yeah, Yeah, the best brawler in welterweight history. And we've got another two who could very well be entering that sort of echelon, and one guy who potentially could be jumping even higher than that. It's Jack Della Maddalena, who's taking on Randy Brown. Betting odds for this one, Della Maddalena got a lot of hype behind him. He's a minus 3 or 5 favorite. You can get Matt Brown at plus 255. So we've been hearing a lot of the sort of smart fans of this sport all saying, you've got to keep an eye on Jack Della Maddalena. This guy is going to be the future. Based on what you've seen so far in 2022, do you believe that? Yeah, I do. Uh, <laughs> um, this was my favorite fight to research for, or my favorite fighter to research for this week. Um, I, I always like watching him fight. Very biased, hopefully. Or I, I, I don't come off very biased. But I think he is such a delight to watch. He seems like one of the few MMA guys to really kind of grasp, like, pure boxing almost in MMA. Uh, a lot of hand fighting when he has to. Uh, tons of feints, which is just amazing. And his striking setups and how he sets up his weapons is almost like watching like a chess master kind of playing like four or five moves in advance. It's amazing. Yep. Um, so we've mentioned before, he had three fights in 2022. He won all of them in the first round. So Pete Rodriguez was back in January. Then he had his first main card appearance on the pay-per-view when he knocked out Ramzam Amiv, which I think a lot of people were happy about because he just feared another sort of 
uh, wall and stall and me performance, but he got him done in the first round. And then beat Danny Roberts, who's a very capable uh, welterweight in his own right. It's hard to believe, though, looking at Jack Della Maddalena's um, sort of success. So we've got a guy here who has 13 wins, one decision, one submission, and 11 KOs. Yet he lost his first two fights. It's been an amazing turnaround. Yeah, he uh, will start off 0 2, and then from there, just clean, running through everybody. You know, um, definitely love to see it, especially, you know, uh, for a young fighter to, after having like a rough start. Sadly, oh, hold on. Yeah, I, uh, I was, good thing you mentioned like the first two losses as well, because I was doing some research on some of the guys who, some of the more famous fighters, I actually did a video about it uh, a few years ago. It was one of the first videos I did. And I looked at some of like the notable MMA fighters who lost their first ever match. So you've got people on there like um, Jacare lost his first fight. Arlovsky, Chris Cyborg lost her first fight. So I think one of the big things I've seen in terms of MMA compared to boxing is that any loss on a boxer's record is almost unforgivable. You lose a fight, and especially very early on in a career, it's almost unforgivable. You're, you're written off straight away. In MMA, you can afford to lose these fights on the regional scene. You can lose your debut and still go on to be a respected, successful fighter. I just find that quite interesting, and possibly we could be talking about Jack Della Maddalena in that same bracket. Maybe he could be a champion and people thinking, oh, well, he lost his first two fights. He can't really be all that good. Because you know what mm. MMA fans are like. Yeah. It's very much a what-have-you-done-for-us-lately sport. And so having a loss means like, oh, you're only as good as your last fight. You lost, though. And it's like, like I've seen that with Vicente Luque recently, and I'm like, really? Come on. He's he's still the guy, you know? Um, I, another thing I always think about, too, is uh, there was, uh, there's like a saying in, in like professional wrestling, like how, you know, like the, you know, we like professional wrestling. I, I'll be quick on this, but like John Cena nearly got cut years and years and years ago. And, uh, out of pure hap happenstance and coincidence, he gets saved. He gets a new gimmick change. And then fast forward to now he's the man. Uh, I, and, and there's that saying of like, how many John Cena's have they accidentally cut because they didn't give him a chance, you know? Um, I often think about that with like MMA as you have a lot of fighters who are young, very talented, very, very good, very, you know, and they have some bad luck. They go against people who are way more experienced than them or able to neutral or able to exploit a hole in their game. And they, you know, perhaps go on two and they give up uh, with with Jack De La Maddalena. He didn't. He, he kept going. He kept going. He kept improving. And here we go. And I, I often wonder, it's like how many potential hall of famers you know first round hall of fame guys had a rough start and just went ah you know what maybe this isn't for me maybe it's time i take a step back and do something else well we talked about and, him uh, uh, last uh, month uh, brandon moreno was cut by the ufc and yeah. then now he's the champion yeah two-time champion you know yeah. it's uh it's come almost, almost, it, it's it's corny i guess you could say but that like having a never give up attitude Definitely has its merits, man, you know. Another scene of reference there. Yeah, yeah. H hustle, loyalty, and respect. Randy Brown can't see him. Uh <laughs> um, the one big question mark that a lot of people have about Jack Della Maddalena is because he comes from a boxing background, how good is his grappling? 
It hasn't really been tested so far in the UFC. It very well could be, though, by Randy Brown. 16-4 and four record. He is coming into this fight, actually, off a four-fight winning streak. Six wins from his last seven. His only loss during that time was Vicente Luque. And we talk about this sort of action alley of welterweight fighters. He's pretty much beaten all of them. Trinaldo, Chaos Williams, Cowboy Oliveira, Wally Alves, Brian Barberena. So he's beaten some yeah. pretty good names. As well as fought a ton of them too, like Nico Price, uh, who like, I mean... One of the best knockouts that, of all time. Yeah, I didn't want to bring it up. I was like, please say this for me. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, like, you know, he's he's been around in this alley for a while. And uh, it seems like it's a hard alley to get out of, you know, this... It's a hard little spot to get out of. Definitely, like, uh, a murderer's row of very talented, very violent, awesome mid-carder welterweights, which is great. Like, it's so cool that ditch just naturally happens. Um, and he's been around it for a long time. And, like you said, beat most of them. Uh, I think he's super underrated right now, actually. But you look at some of Randy Brown's early fights when he first comes into the UFC... We've got a guy mm. who is very raw. You can see oh, that yeah. there's, there's an athlete there. There's certainly a guy who has promise, but he doesn't have that sort of rounded out skill set. That's something he's definitely worked on because I think Randy Brown had a, a reputation at times of being sort of this ultra-aggressive reckless fighter. But mm. his last three wins have come by decision. He seems happy to sort of take the smart approach to try and win fights. And I think especially mm. his wrestling is a lot better now. True. His strength as well. Yes. Um, yeah, he's super strong. Uh, he He's also the guy who uh, who dethroned a potential hype train in Mickey Gall. Uh, was his uh, was the guy who took away Mickey Gall's O in his record? Yes, he was, um, yeah, because uh, that was 217, yeah. like one of the best cards uh -huh. of all time. Yeah, actually, yeah, it really was. Uh, but... Uh, like oh, uh, but I think it, yeah, it was cow. It was a uh, dirty cowboy Oliveira, uh, and I only call him that because he cheats in every fight. So fun fact, it, it's the truth. Jack Slack said it once, and I was like, yeah, right. And I just like cannot unsee it. It's like uh, when they tell you like the Weedle in Pokemon's wearing a tie, and you can't just unsee it. It's like, oh come on. Uh, now I can't unsee that with Alex Oliveira. Uh, I see it every fight, but <laughs> he like one armed. Rear naked choked him, if I remember right. Just one arm, just pure grip, just got it under, and just I was like, that is so impressive. That seems impossible. Like that, I don't think that would ever work. Like if he would have told me that, that's how he's gonna do it. I'd be like, that doesn't work unless uh, a sixth grader is bullying a third grader on the playground. Like what is going? There's no way. That that's super impressive that he did that in the UFC. Actually, uh, very very impressive. Um, that takes a lot of strength to do that. So that is like where some of the concerns are. Like you said, the wrestling, the strength, the experience. This could be a potentially rough one for uh, our guy Jack here. But like, obviously, I want a um, little bit of a spoiler alert here, but I will be picking Jack to win. But this is one of those yeah. fights, in my opinion, that does have banana peel all over it because of randy brown's experience because he has the grappling base because he has the maturity now to know what to do in the ufc i think i think the bookmakers are maybe getting a little bit too caught in the della madalena hype 
I think he deserves mm. to be a favourite, quite rightly so. But I could see Randy Brown winning this match. Oh, yeah. I uh, I could see the UFC, have, the matchmakers having egg on their face because they obviously want to put uh, Madalena in these big spots to kind of build up. Um, but Randy Brown could be the ultimate spoiler here. And, uh, I mean, and what, and like, like we mentioned earlier, what would suck about that, too, is there goes all the hype. You know, even though this might not be the best matchup at all for Madalena, uh, but there goes all the hype uh, because of how fans are. Sadly. If there is one concern I do have when it comes to Randy Brown, though, yes, he has made a lot of improvements, but I think the big weakness that's still there is striking defense. He, he sort of falls into, mm. uh, and I hate to bash him because I feel like everybody does these days, he sort of has the same problem Darren Till has. He has what yeah. I call he has what I call tall man defense. He thinks just because I'm <laughs> lanky, I can just lean back to avoid any sort of damage, and that's fine when you're fighting like a lower level of fighter. But when you get to elite strikers like a Jack Della mm. Madalena who can get around that, it becomes a problem. Very good distance control, and I see a lot of straights to the body if he's leaning back, which is adding money in the bank, which takes away that strength, which takes away the potential advantage he's going to have in just muscling him to the ground and then uh, outpowering him there. Um, definitely going to be interesting. Um, here's one thing I'm really curious about. What if Randy Brown, you know, like we've mentioned, he, he came into the sport very raw. Uh, we haven't really talked a lot about his striking. And to be honest, I don't really remember a ton of it outside of the research I did this week. Did not remember a ton of his striking. I mostly remember his grappling uh, going into the research. But I wonder if he comes out here and just starts looking to blast and pepper away the legs of Jack De La Maddalena. Because I think in MMA, what there's the th- what what are the things that stops boxers leg kicks um, from really? Yeah, I, that's I always go oh wrestling, obviously clinching up, lactic acid building up into the arms and everything like that when you clinch up. But in the striking, are are they just supposed to run us over? No, we're gonna low kick them. We're going to kick him. Uh, having head head movement is very nice. Um, being very good at having that head movement, but being throwing one high kick uh, is uh, a good way to stop a guy from uh, having head movement. Um, if you look at uh, Edson Bar, one of the best fights no one talks about, Edson Barbosa, Ross Pearson. Uh, Edson Barbosa starts going high with kicks to stop Ross Pearson's uh, uh, offensive head movement to kind of get into range with his boxing. Um that's what I always kind of think of, but I think the I wonder when he's going to come out here and start blasting low kicks on a guy who wants to kind of faint his way in, hand fight a little bit, and kind of set up his strikes. Are those low kicks going to just really throw him off his game and allow for the takedowns to become easier? I, I'm very this is a, this is such an interesting matchup, and it's crazy because this is a, a I, I not to disrespect either of them. I'm glad this is on the main card for pay per view because it deserves it. But in recent memory, I feel like this is opening up the apex randomly on a card. Uh, but I'm actually, and I, I mean that in, uh, I don't hope I don't mean that in a bad way. I, I'm actually very happy this is on the pay per view because this is a, a really it's interesting a fight. fight. It's a good fight. Yeah. Are you picking I, Randy Brown to get the upset, or do you think that Jack's skill set's going to be a bit too much? I want to. I, the fan in me really wants to pick Jack De La Maddalena. But the analyst in me is kind of going, I think there's more to this fight than hype. 
That said, I, I feel way more certain picking Jack Madela, Jack Dela Madalena. Uh, I, I think that just feels like the cleaner pick. It's kind of hard for me to lean either way, um, admittingly, but leaning towards Jack feels feels better in my mind. So I, I'm gonna pick him to win second round or. I mean, I could see a first round KO again. Uh, he seems like he has the power, accuracy, and everything, but uh, I don't want to get too hyped in it. I don't want to hype him way too much, so I'm going to go second round. I'm going to maybe take the coward's way out. I'm not going to give an opinion, but what I am going to say is if Jack Della Maddalena was to win this fight, I think it will be a good vindication of how good this guy actually is because I do rate Randy Brown very highly. I think he has a lot of mm-hmm. tools which could give jack a lot of problems and i think if he was to put him away is say first round knockout second round knockout i think i'll firmly be on the hype train and say hey this guy has a quite a high ceiling oh yes i i i'm i'm, I'm gonna even go even a step further on this uh everyone wants to tout jack de la madalena up uh, me included uh, i think randy brown is the most underrated unranked guy in the ufc right now potentially at least I, obviously i don't know every division's unranked guys but at, the top, at least in welterweight, he's the most underrated guy probably uh, that's unranked at welterweight, especially in this murderer's alley. Uh, and, um, yeah, I, I so if he shows up and just blows us away with his performance, the sky is <laughs> – the ceiling is through the roof. Uh, uh, give him Mosfidal. No more Gilbert Burns Mosfidal afterwards. Let's do that. <laughs> We're moving on to our core main event now, and – it is Yaya Rodriguez, the number two seed at the featherweight division, who's going to be taking on the number five seed, Josh Emmett. But it sort of snuck on a lot of people here. This is actually a title fight. It's going to be for the interim belt. There are some question marks over what Alexander Volkanovsky is going to do should he win the main event. We'll get into that in a little bit more detail. Uh, for the betting odds for this one, you can get Yaya as a minus 165 favorite. Josh Emmett comes in at plus 140. And... Mark Islam Akachev mentioned earlier on in the week, he feels that his title fight has been getting no coverage from the UFC. I think you can say the same thing about this one. Absolutely nobody is talking about a title match which is taking place seven days from now. Crazy. And the only reason I knew this was a title fight is because I remember going, oh, that's what they're doing, huh? Whenever the fight was made. And I just still remember my initial reaction to it that's kind of carried it, you know, in my memory uh ufc is not promoting this at all it is kind of abysmal honestly and despite the fact that i could talk about this fight forever it feels like i've seen a lot of people sort of try and look i think we can all agree interim titles are thrown around far too much in this day and age but i actually think this is one of the more justified ones because of that volkanovsky sort of wrinkle because we do have a guy who Let's say Volkanovski does beat Markachev. And mm-hmm. he says to himself, you know what? I feel like I've beaten everyone at featherweight. I've got no more challenges. I'm going to stay at lightweight. It's almost impossible that he's going to try and defend both belts at once. It can't be done. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you don't want to have a situation like we've seen a light heavyweight where the belt remains vacant. It's not a good look for the UFC. So I think mm-hmm. having an interim ch- champion just in case... I actually think it's a good thing. Now, whether or not Yair and Josh Emmett are the right people to fight for that belt, that's a different question. But mm-hmm. I think this is one of the more justified interim titles 
that there have been in recent years, in my opinion. I, I agree. Because the big thing is we don't know what he's going to do. We, we have to. We have a, so many factors playing into the undisputed featherweight title. Uh, is Volkanovski going to win or lose? Who do, how do you know? And that also plays in a factor of what Volkanovski is going to do afterwards. So we don't really know what to do. Do we just hold up a division, which is one of the sad byproducts of, of someone changing weight classes and going for a double champ status? Do we just do that? Or do we kind of move on and try and do something else? Um, I think this is a... I mean, of the guys who are free, I don't like either guy's path to the title, admittingly. But of the people that were free to fight, this makes sense to me, and I think it's very justified as well. I usually like to value uh, winning streaks and meritocracy when it comes to sort of title matches. Personally, I would have gone for Josh Emmett versus Arnold Allen. Yeah, I was kind of thinking that one too. Uh I mean, he has a fight coming up that I go, well, that's probably the other fight you could have done. Max Holloway. Uh, yeah. That's going to be a tough um, fight for him. I, I I don't fancy his chances. Unless Max took so much damage in the Volkanovski fight, I just think Max is on another level. He's he's 1B to Volkanovski's 1. Yeah. It's, that's an inter- I think that fight's really interesting. And I really want I, – I love both guys, but I think it's interesting for Arnold Allen to win that one. But they're not fighting here today. I don't want to get off track. <laughs> Usually you're the one that rains me, and I had to rain myself one in there. Uh, that's how awesome Featherweight's yeah. been lately. Yeah, we have been told off for making these shows a little bit too long, so it is quite wise yeah. that we uh, move things on. So we're going to be talking about the first guy who was in this title fight, which is Yair Rodriguez. 14-3 record. He is coming to the fight off a win. He did beat Brian Ortega. There was a little bit of uh, suspicious circumstances reg- re- regarding that. Brian Ortega did pick up an injury. I think that was an ABC card as well, so uh, particularly yeah. double damaging for the UFC. Good notable wins on his record, though. Along with Ortega, we've got Jeremy Stevens, Korean Zombie, in that sort of spectacular highlight reel finish. Uh, the ghost of BJ Penn, Alex Caceres, he's also beaten as well. He's only UFC losses because he lost one very early in his career, Max Holloway and Frankie Edgar. So no shame in losing to either of those guys, especially Edgar in 2017 when he was still in his prime. Um, the other big interesting factor from this, though, he could become the second Mexican champion in two months. And with Alexa Grasso fighting for the belt next month, we sort of touched on this last month, potentially a good run for Mexican MMA could be on the cards if Yair was to win this fight. I should have learned it in Spanish, but we're not here to take part, Carl. We're here to take over. <laughs> uh, I should have learned it in Spanish in preparation. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it definitely could. Um, it's, uh, I mean, like, MMA is getting bigger, you know. Uh, it's it's funny. Uh, I always tell people this because it's really funny to me. Um, someone who's half and very, uh, very in touch with my Mexican side. Um, like, a lot of, like... Uh, a lot of Mexicans did not really embrace Cain Velasquez very well because they he's too big. That's the honest reason. They go, wait, we don't we don't come in that size. Like, how how is he Mexican? No way. Like, they didn't believe it. Like, funny enough. And he was born in America, which definitely sadly hurt, which isn't fair, I think. But um, when you think of his, like, background and stuff. But uh, Brandon Moreno, 
definitely a huge thing. I, from what I hear in uh, in Mexico, Yair Rodriguez, his inactivity hurts him. But if he becomes champion, that'll change real quick. And uh, Alexa Grosso, sadly, the women don't get as much promotion. But if they did, she'd be a big hit, I would imagine as well, uh, considering some of the success of like female luchadors down there. I think you can kind of use that to relate, like see that that women can hit a popularity level uh, that's very attainable in uh, in Mexico. Just need the uh, women's uh, women's bantamweight title to be vacated and Aldana to uh, beat Juliana. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And then uh, if things get real crazy at heavyweight, uh, I'll be there. And uh, <laughs> we'll... <laughs> You're not that heavy, surely. No, but I am 5'6", so good luck. they're going to have to reach down real far to, to catch me. Yeah. Um... If anything, I'll be at, at middleweight. I will say, um, when it comes to Yair Rodriguez, though, if you do want a Mexican uh, champion in the UFC, he's a good guy to have, though. Incredibly entertaining to watch. Probably one of the most creative strikers in the division. It's a lot of spinning and jumping attacks. Uh, we all remember what he did to Andre Feely with that spinning head kick knockout. Um, I also think very underrated boxing. He, yes, yeah. most people talk about his kicks, Quite rightly so. But I feel he has a lot of skill in his hands that people don't really appreciate as much. Really? I, I Funny. Uh, I actually think that's his biggest weakness on the striking. Um, at least it was. It looked... You know what? You, maybe you got a point. I'm thinking back to that Max Holloway fight. Whenever they were just boxing, he wasn't completely blown out of the water. Whereas Korean Zombie was blowing him out of the water in the boxing. Um, granted, a ton of years in between those fights, weirdly enough to me. Um, but I felt like his hands were like his weakest part. If you put pressure on him uh, and took away his kicks, he's just punching. Like that, that's kind of what happened with uh, Frankie Edgar is he got stuck just kind of punching whenever – or he because if he threw a kick, he's getting taken down and he's getting put on his back foot. Um so he was stuck just kind of punching, and Frankie was like, ah, none of that. You know, slips, moves, pu- lands a shot, then dumps him on his back. Um, and then he beat him up, really. Yeah, that, again, like you said, that was prime Frankie Edgar. Uh, he was the man. Um, it's probably because of what Frankie said after the fight, but people always talk about the sort of there's levels to this performances. Mm-hmm. That was one of them. Yeah, it was such a huge step up in competition. He went from the ghost of BJ Penn to Frankie Edgar, if I remember correctly. I think that was literally the two fights. And it's like, what? Why? Like, why would you give anyone Frankie Edgar at that time if they're not a champion? Like, he's just going to kill them. Um, I think I'm right in saying they sort of framed it as a title eliminator. Because you had Yair. I think Yair would once win, like, seven wins in a row. Frankie Edgar's always been a big name, always been sort of around the uh, top echelons of that featherweight division. And I think the way they were framing it was, if Edgar wins, he's done enough to get that fight against Max. Obviously, that fell through and Brian Ortega happened. But if Yair was to win, eight wins in a row, you can throw him against Max in that one. They would have done it, yeah. It was definitely a title eliminator. Um, Another thing, too, is uh, Yair has, like like you said, he brought up his resume. Uh, Did you mention Dan Hooker on that? Dan Hooker, yeah. Yeah. Oh man. I, that's so. That's what I always go. That happened. Yeah. At like featherweight, you know. Um, I've always felt though the featherweight Dan Hooker never really worked for me. He's just 
far too tough of a way cut, in my opinion. I feel we didn't really see the best Dan Hooker until he had that sort of run at lightweight where mm. I think he got to the Dustin Poirier fight. Like, that was the prime Gilbert... Dan Hooker. That run of form was fantastic. Yeah, the, I think the Gilbert Burns knockout was what, like, just kind of set it off, which is really weird to think. We're talking about a featherweight fight and bring up Dan Hooker, who has knocked out potential uh, future number one contender Gilbert uh, Gilbert Burns at 170. Weird to think. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think yeah that, that Dan Hooker at 155 was awesome. At 145, I only really remember the Hatsu Hayoki KO, the head kick. I think that's the only one I, like, big moment for this. And I think, I remember right, the Yair fight was pretty good. Uh, he took, like, a, a, a cartwheel kick and went, what? Like, just, at, like, Dan Hooker's face after he gets hit with the cartwheel kick is, is one of, like, okay, that, that sucked. But did he just throw that and hit it on me? Like, it's, Yair is very, very expressive with his strikes. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, so, a lot of focus on Yair, quite rightly so, but... I don't know about you, I think this is a really close fight, and in my opinion, Josh Emmett is one of the most underrated fighters, especially in the featherweight division. We've got an 18-2 record, five-fight winning streak. The Calvin Cater win was very controversial. I did see a lot of people scoring that one against him, but still, in my opinion, I think he just squeezed it out. I wasn't upset by the result, i put it that way. I can see an argument mm -hmm. for Josh Emmett winning this match. It's sort of like uh, Shevchenko versus Tyler Santos. It's that kind of result. Uh, notable wins on this record include, as mentioned before, Keita, Dan Ige. Shane Burgos was one of the most criminally underrated wars that the UFC have had in these past couple of years. And you've got guys like yeah. Ricardo Lamas, Michael Johnson, who he knocked out with one shot as well. This guy has ridiculous power at 145. He has, like one shot KO power in a division that doesn't really have that. He, he, when he, when he touches guys, uh, they just go like, you know, funny, but I'm to steal a line from a former opponent of his. When he touches guys, they, they don't, don't move. move. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and another thing too, is we know who Emmett is like, you know, unlike that other guy. Um, but yeah, no, um, Emmett is very aggressive. He's not the most... It's funny. I, I always go, oh, he's super skilled in his own way. But maybe because of the Cater fight, who is uh, another very skilled guy, I felt like he didn't have the skills he brought to the table because I, I personally scored it for Cater. It, it wasn't like a... Oh, that is a... I thought it was a bad decision, but I didn't think it was like a... Uh, like, oh, like, investigate those judges now. Like, um, it wasn't that It wasn't bad. Paddy versus Gordon. No, yeah, it wasn't that. Um, it wasn't, um, oh, I, I, I bring the fight up too much. It wasn't, it wasn't like how Izzy Whitaker 2 was for me. Uh, <laughs> but um, that one's biased, personally. I know it is. But anyways, uh, with, with Emmett, uh, I, I, like I said, for both guys, I really don't like their their line to this fight, but we're here. Like, you know, uh, as much as they should hire me, they're not going to for the matchmaking. Uh, so, um, okay. Like, you know, I, I'm, I'm funny enough, I'm as much as I don't like it, I'm actually really okay with this fight once I really started thinking about it because this is 
this is a gold mine of like strategy and striking games and just MMA in general in terms of what could happen. It is this is probably funny enough the most interesting fight on the card I think in matchmaking, and uh, I could see this being if it wasn't for the stakes, you know, of the main event. I think this would be the most like edge of your seat fight. Uh, I would make that prediction, but the stakes are going to elevate the main event. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. Um, I heard someone describe Josh Emmett as sort of the quintessential team alpha male fighter. Like, I feel yeah. like a lot of the alpha male guys almost fight pretty much the same way. It's sort of like mm-hmm. primarily a wrestling base, and the fear of the takedown helps to set up the overhand. So, mm-hmm. like, Chad Mendez, very similar style to Josh Emmett. Uh, I don't think Mendez had as much power as Emmett. No, I don't think so either. But um, He had a ton of power, though, to be fair. Yes, yes. Which but. just says everything about Josh Emmett's power, that we're talking about Chad Mendes in this sort of derogatory fashion because he's not as powerful mm. as Josh Emmett. Yeah. It's crazy to think that we both say that so quickly when you really think about it. But I, I agree, yeah. Yep. And with this alpha male archetype also comes the wrestling game. And mm. as we know, Yair Rodriguez has always had issues when it comes to grappling. Like... He was having a lot of success against Max Holloway striking. Like, Max's leg was a mess in that fight. And Max Holloway had to resort to grappling to try and neutralize Yair. Mm -hmm. So, someone who has a wrestling base like Josh Emmett, that's certainly an avenue for him to try and win this fight. Absolutely. And another thing with it is, like, like I love how you brought up the uh, Josh Emmett uh, team Alpha Male fighter, because uh, in a way you could almost say like Josh Emmett is Team Alpha Male's prophesized the one, uh, because he is, he fights like the perfect version of all of them in a sense, uh, and he isn't also just a one-handed fighter. He has power in his left hand too, you know. He doesn't just have a right hand; he's got a left as well, and he can kind of kick, which is, you know, something. But the big thing I, I go is, uh, I think that is the. The, the key to win for Emmett is abusing that wrestling lack of wrestling defense from Yair. But what makes this very interesting is how does he get in? Josh Emmett fights very compact, very low, very, uh, you know, always threatening. Uh, what's it called? Uh, always threatening a level change, always threatening a shift in stance. Um, so you know, he's not going to have the major distance and length going in against Yair, who is tall, lanky, and loves his kicks, which is a very long-range weapon. Um, but what... We've, we mentioned this in, like, in our Yair is like, really fun to watch thing. Yair loves to spin. And I, whenever I was training, I loved to spin as well. Um, you were just begging for someone to step in on you when you spin. And a case-in-point kind of example of this historically is Robert Whitaker versus Uriah Hall. Uriah Hall always wanted to spin on him, and Rob was able to close the distance during the spin and get the clinch and keep the fight almost in, up close and in that phone book, uh, phone booth, excuse me, and get the floor, get the fight to the floor if he needed to, or just stay on him to take away the kicks. And Emmett can a hundred percent abuse that. Um, another thing is too is Emmett's a pressure fighter who wants to put the pressure and be coming forward, be moving forward. And 
uh, doing what he can. Uh, when he fights off his back foot, I don't think he's anywhere near as effective, personally. Um, I think kind of leading into that Team Alpha Male thing, um, Team Alpha Male guys never seem great off their back foot, I thought, personally. Whereas, uh, outside of TJ, who uh, was his whole other archetype, almost, of a fighter. Um, but Emmett, it, I think, is very well when he's moving forward. Um, and kicking off your back leg when someone's pressuring you is really hard. And Emmett is going to use that pressure to kind of lower the effectiveness of the Yair kicks. So there's a lot of, I feel like a lot of the questions of how are you going to deal with this come are coming to y- going to Yair and not so much Emmett. I, I think you're 100% correct in going like, oh, I think Emmett should be the favorite. In, in a sense, like we're, I think we're both kind of th- like wondering that... Uh, I, I almost feel like Emmett could d- easily be the favorite in this fight based on their m- matchups. And I'll be honest, and a little bit of a hot take here, because obviously I'm going to be asking you for your predictions. You've mm-hmm. given the reason why I'm picking Josh Emmett to win this fight. I think he has oh. I think he has that power advantage over Yair. I think Yair's mm-hmm. tendency to spin can see him get caught. I think Emmett's going to go quite grappling heavy, and I'm going to be picking him to uh, get a decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh, I think that is funny enough. I think that's the safer pick. Uh, and, and when you did the odds, you said Yair was the favorite. Yes. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I think that's so much safer picking Emmett. Uh, I'm not the I'm not a big guy at gambling. Uh, my my level of I pick predictions because I want to seem smart and cool and awesome, uh, and I am. So, <laughs> but anyways, uh, uh, I I think. If you're a gambling man, I think the Emmett pick sounds like the safer one. But uh, to quote a, a favorite of ours, I'm a genetic freak and I'm not normal. I'm picking Yair Rodriguez to, to win uh, by decision. I think he'll – I don't know if he'll put away Emmett. Emmett's pretty tough. Like, honestly, Emmett's very, very durable. He took some punishment from Calvin Cater who couldn't put him away. And um, Jeremy Stevens also hits like – yeah. Uh, a Mac 10 truck and hit him with illegal shots to put him away. If we're being honest. And I like Jeremy Stevens, but uh, Jeremy Stevens definitely hit him with illegal shots that shouldn't uh, have gotten him disqualified or no contested. Um, so that's, that's what I think. And, um, and I'm not just picking Yair because he's Mexican. Funny enough. I'm actually not a fan of Yair Rodriguez. Uh, I don't know why. I could not tell you why. Maybe I think it's because he dated Alexa Grasso, apparently. Maybe that's my bias coming in. Uh, that's not it. I, I I really don't know why. But um, I, I, I remember the, uh, the snap kicks up the middle being pretty big for him in the Holloway fight. And like you said, he punished the leg of Holloway immensely. And uh, he does have a really good low-line sidekick to the leg and the knee and everything like that. He has a very good one. Uh, even moving backwards, he has a pretty solid one. Um, and I really wonder how well that's going to work. I think that's going to be a big factor in uh, against Emmett, who does have really, honestly, underrated offensive footwork. But I think taking away those weapons, taking away how easily Emmett can just kind of get in, uh, I think Yair could probably kind of take the momentum back in rounds three, four, and five. And uh, take away a decision win because his cardio is actually pretty good. And I think he's also had to dig deeper for a win as well. Uh, Once again, the Korean zombie fight is my case in point. And a Josh Emmett as well, who spent over a year on the sidelines having to repair his knee. Oh, yeah. 
that's right. Um, that's that's dangerous too because a guy like Yair, he wants to abuse your knee like with that low line side kick. So um, I'm definitely interested. I think in the striking department, it's going to come down to uh, how well Emmett can Emmett force a brawl or a boxing match and take away the kicks. And uh, something we didn't mention is uh, while he doesn't have the most highly decorated or dare I say even successful grappling game, Yair has a very active guard. Is it successful? No, but he's always throwing up something. And he did technically put Ortega in that arm bar. I I did love the uh, point you made uh, a while back there when you were talking about I'm not being a betting man. Uh, When it comes to me... Um, I only ever bet when it's a a massive underdog in a title uh-huh. fight who I have an affinity for. So yes. thank you, Julie, for earning that 80 quid uh, back in <laughs> December 2021. I I have never bet on a fight once, except uh, you're going to hate this story. I think I've told you before. Uh, I've never bet. I don't think I've really bet like money, like any serious money outside of with friends on a fight. But uh, years ago, uh, I bet my beard on um ronda rousey beating holly home uh so that wasn't fun i i looked like a 12 year old for about a week and a half um because uh, that whole week i was saying holly home was gonna pull it off the day of i had cold feet and i changed my mind and my friend goes no you convinced me you can't back out now i was like i'll bet my beard ronda retains <sighs> you're was, right i do rough. hear that story yeah, <laughs> I was like, oh, you're not going to like this one. But uh, I hate it more, in fairness. I, Without my beard, uh, I look like I'm 12 years old. <laughs> Time for us to talk about our main event, and we are going up to the lightweight division, and it is the pound-for-pound pound best fighter in the world taking on the number two pound-for-pound pound best fighter in the world. Islam Makachev is defending his title up against Alex Volkanovsky. Volk looking for the opportunity to try and become the UFC's fifth two-way champion but the bookmakers aren't giving him all that much of a chance Volkanovski is a plus 315 underdog Islam Makachev comes in at minus 425 so I'm going to start this by making a little bit of a controversial statement here Joe and I hope that people watching this can understand where I'm coming from I hope you can as well I don't like double champs I think it's gimmicky (laughs) Uh. Um, in my opinion it stalls weight classes It's not fair on the other contenders. So in the case of lightweight here, so you've got Benil Dariush, who in my opinion has done enough to earn a title fight. He's having to put it on hold. And actually he's going to be fighting Charles. I think he's going to to be fighting Charles. So he could potentially lose the opportunity of a shot because the UFC are doing this fight. And Mm. I also think as well, the UFC, I think the UFC have this impression that being a double champ instantly makes you a star. I don't think it's as big of a deal as they believe it is. Like, Daniel Cormier became a double champ, and yet mm. he's fight against Derek Lewis, the one immediately after, did the worst pay-per-view numbers of his career. So I feel yeah. like all you're really getting is just a Kodak shot of them holding both belts. So I think Volkanovski... I think the Derek has... Lewis one, though, a lot of it was because of... It was like a month, you know? Oh, yeah. It was like a month to sell yeah. the fight, so I can understand it from that perspective, but... I do think it is a little bit overrated in that regard. Um, That being said, though, I think if there's a guy who deserves the opportunity to become a double champ, I would put Volkanovski up there. Yeah, 
I think there's a I like it in terms of the prestige it carries, but historically speaking, it doesn't always mean as much to me. Um, I it's funny enough. I I like. I think whenever you leave a division behind, there's got to be a good reason for it. Yes. You know, like if Figueredo, hypothetically speaking, had beaten Moreno, and uh, he had, going, hey, I'm I'm leaving. You know. I can't do this weight cut. That's a good enough reason for me. You're in your late 30s. Cutting weight sucks. I'm I'm okay with that. Uh, and uh, but like not to rag on him too much. Uh, but Conor McGregor leaving 145. It's like, really? Why? Like this is this is a waste of time for this whole division, and you're wasting the UFC's time, in my opinion. Uh, and um, you know, but he came, he became double champ off of that. But still, like, and then he didn't even defend either one. Uh, I think that hurts divisions. Um, thankfully for Volkanovski, he's been beating contenders when they're presented to him uh, with, you know, of his four title defenses. They've all been very good fights, I think, in their own way. Um, but, like, and then Max Holloway also killed off the other contenders. So it was kind of, I can understand, I think outside of Arnold Allen, Josh Emmett, I kind of go, okay, who else really was there? you know, for him to kind of take. So I kind of understand him moving up here. Um, but I, I'm, I'm with you. I don't really like it. But I, I also agree on if anyone deserves it in terms of prestige, Volkanovsky's building himself. He, he, in my opinion, he already has a first ballot Hall of Famer uh, level of career. I think he's built himself. Like, in my I opinion, think now. like, in my opinion, I... Yeah. If people do take weight in the double champ status, that's fine. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say you're yeah. a bad person for doing that. Yeah. Personally, though, I have a lot more respect for guys like GSP and Anderson Silva, guys who mm-hmm. stayed in their own weight class and just turned back contender after contender, got like the 11 and 12 defenses. Mighty Mouse put mm-hmm. in there as well. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I think a guy, guy like GSP, who I think is the greatest of all time, um, that's my undisputed pick. For me, there is no argument or debate personally. I mean, the goat is subjective, but, um, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I love the fact that he did that. He fought every, you know, in a, in a division where every once in a while there'd be a clear contender. All right, time to fight GSP. You lose. And then here comes another one. It was, it was that same kind of cycle, uh, consistently on welterweight for him. And then when he left, you know, uh, he came back and won at middleweight, but for the most part, what everyone really talks about is that welterweight run. Um, and I, I think for Volkanovski moving up, I think that was a really weird scenario. Like like you said earlier, it was Volkanovski one and then Max Holloway one B. You know, um, it was really only ever those two guys. It felt like at times, and so those guys running it running it back three three fights together, Volkanovski winning all three. Um, it kind of leaves you going, okay, do I just fight him? Am I fighting Max Holloway over and over until he finally wins? Like, I, I think that kind of creates that situation. So I understand him moving up, but at the same time, yeah, man, I normally I hate this. And I still don't really like it here because I, I feel like there's no closure at, at featherweight. Like, if Yair and Josh Emmett put on a crazy performance and, you know, the winner of that fight defends their belt and they become undisputed champion there's still that question of well you didn't beat volkanovsky mm-hmm. like if 
And I hate that. I, I, I don't like – there's no closure for that division, and that's what really sucks about it. But um, good feather in the cap for Volkanovsky if he, if he gets it, and this will – like like I said, he's already built a first ballot Hall of Famer-level career for me. We're just putting icing on the cake at this point. And we'll talk about Volkanovsky in a lot more detail here. You mentioned this Hall of Fame portfolio that he has on his record. Three wins over Max Holloway. There's also wins over Korean Zombie, which he dominated. Brian Ortega, Jose Aldo, Chad Mendes. So he's beaten like a who's who of some of the best featherweights in this division's history. A 22-fight winning streak. His only loss came when he was fighting as a welterweight. Um... So what, what is it for you that has made Alexander Volkanovsky such a success? How has he managed to surpass so many great names? I, If someone would have told me this back when I saw him fight um, years ago, fight Chad Mendes, I would have been like, yeah, he looks really good, but I don't know. Uh, I would never, I don't think I would have believed him. Um, uh, I've heard the joke that the he has the best base for MMA, which is being just a thick lad. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> so there's hope for us both. I, I know, yeah. Uh, just got to start doing rugby, and we're in. Um, and but in all honesty, uh, he's got a great gym for teaching striking. Trains at Tiger Muay Thai and City Kickboxing, uh, and uh, so his striking is very, very, very technical. It's kind of insane to go like you didn't have a striking base coming into the sport, and here you are, like you know, outstriking most elite strikers with relative ease in a weird way um, while being very, very technical. Um, and as well as that, like, his grappling is pretty, pretty good and his wrestling is very good. And a lot of it is he's got a unique frame, very interesting center of gravity. He's really good at getting underneath people and it's really hard to get underneath him uh, to kind of take out their legs from underneath them. And uh, as well as you know, him being so strong, he's able to kind of muscle guys down if he really has to. Um, and he hits like a Mack truck as well. Uh, he doesn't have that like one shot KO power like we have like with Josh Emmett, who's, uh, who we just talked about. But uh, if you look at the at least the visual damage, the cosmetic damage he puts on guys, he clearly has some power there. Um, his like biggest finish, uh, like with the definitive strikes uh, was definitely probably like the Chad Mendes one. Um, I mean, Korean Zombie as well, but that was a more of a punishment, just accumulating. But the Chad Mendes one was a little bit different. And Chad Mendes, you could argue, is a little chinny later in his career. Um, but still, like I think he does have the power uh, going in. Uh, God, it just like, honestly, the easiest way to say it is I really can't think of a real whole glaring weakness in his game. He kind of comes across as like, you know, just the most balanced fighter I could I could imagine in real life. Yeah, like outside of a video game. You know? He does have a real mountain to climb, though. Not only because obviously he's going to be moving up in weight, going to be fighting at one fifty five rather than one forty five. Is that power going to translate? So there's questions about that. But also yeah. as well. Islam Makachev, and I, I admit I'm not the biggest fan of the Dagestani fighters, but they have found themselves a cheat code to dominate in the sport. And I think Makachev is one of the, probably the best sort of utilizers of that cheat code. So 23 and one record, hasn't lost since 2015. And 
people talk about his grappling, quite rightly so, he's Khabib's boy. But yeah. this guy just doesn't get hit. No, his like... I mean, Habib really never really got hit either, but Habib was usually on top of guys. Whereas, like, Islam will sometimes strike with a guy, just doesn't get touched, really. You know? He, like, it, he's kind of a weird, like, enigma in a sense of, like, I know, like, there's all this hype of, he's better than Habib, you know, that we've been hearing for months. It's probably worn us out. But sometimes you watch him and you go, is he? Uh... It's a little weird. I think that... I think Markachev is the more refined fighter. Mm -hmm. I think he has a better all-around game than Khabib, but Khabib's grappling, in my opinion, was much better than what Markachev's is. Yeah. The thing is, though, like, you watch some of Khabib's early fights when he was in the UFC, some of his striking is sloppy. Yeah, it's gross. Like, not good to look at. It's just that, obviously, his um, grappling game was so OP... He was able to get away with it. Markachev mm. is what you do when you sort of refine that striking side of uh, Khabib's arsenal. Mm. And I think that that's... And if you're somebody who maybe does have issues with that training camp, that's a concern. Because I don't yeah. see... Outside of like a freak one-shot kill, like he suffered before against Adriano Martins, I mm. don't see anybody beating this guy. <sighs> Like the, the only guys I really I really wonder if they could do it. I mean, I still think Charles could potentially do it. If uh, I I wonder if it was like just was this just like a bad day for him because he looked like a shell of himself in their fight. But I mean, spoiler alert, uh, I think Volk can do it. Um, and I have some reasons for that. I. I don't know if Poye could. I don't. I, I don't know if Gaethje could. I think Gaethje'd be interesting, but I think he'd lose. Um, what the about one, one? What about one round one Chandler? Just with yeah. how aggressive <laughs> and how powerful he is. He definitely could uh, if he hits him though. Like, like that's the thing is like Islam's so hard to hit. It feels like. But I have a really a name you've brought up. The guy I think that I think he matches up really well with him. Honestly, Benny. I, yeah, I think Benny – I would pick Benny in that fight if they made that right now, honestly. Uh, I wouldn't think of twice about it. I, I just feel like that's a really good matchup for Benny. And and momentum is huge, right? Islam's been fighting like a little – like not as often really. And Benny is just on such a hot streak. Even after the injury, him coming back and it's like you got to take on uh, like super tough Matush Gamrot. Okay, and schools him for three rounds. It's like okay, like, I I think that guy is probably the guy. I would, oops, excuse me, burp. <laughs> uh, that's the guy I definitely would pick. I think to win. Um, another one who I would, Matus uh, Gamrat would be another one I'd like to see, um, and Armand Sarukian as well, who I I really like that guy. Sarukian um, got a very competitive fight out of him on short notice. Oh yeah, that's that was uh, that's an eye opener because like, as great as Islam's looked and how much we've been praising him, you see that fight and you go. Well, what happened here? And I think that's more Sarukian because, I mean, Sarukian's like one loss in the UFC outside of that fight is to Gamrot, which is razor close as well. You know, um, so it's like, OK, clearly those two are something big at this division, I think. Uh, but another name that I would bring up and I go, 
Funny enough, I think I'd want to see that fight is uh, Fazayev. I don't think Fazayev has the grappling. Uh, I th has anyone really held him down? Because in Muay Thai, it's a lot of like lower body strength and keeping yourself up. And he's a shorter frame, so it's going to be really hard to get underneath him. And it's going to be hard to abuse him in the clinch. Because he's used to that. I, 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 I wonder about that. One thing I have noticed in sort of like the, the seldom build that I have seen in this fight, mm -hmm. do you kind of get the impression that Team Khabib are a little bit dismissive of Volkanovski? I just kind of, I kind of get the impression they just sort of, they sort of, uh, this guy's not going to be any threat, this short little Australian, he's not going to beat us. It's not like, it's maybe a little bit of complacency. I, maybe complacency is not the wrong word, but... I've seen many times where a fighter overlooks their opponent and gets humbled. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, there's a clip of Islam whenever they tell him, like, we do want to do this fight. We're serious. And he kind of laughs. And I think that laugh is very telling. I, I, I will say this. Um, regardless of your opinions of, like, them or their fighting style and everything like that, the Dagestanis are very, very respectful, typically. Uh and against their opponents, like Khabib was always a class act outside of Connor. even like when Connor, yeah, even with like that up until they, you know, after kind of a you know at a, a crap show, but uh, no, Connor's like going at him hard and he's just you know being cool, calm, and respectful as he can. Um, but it was definitely a little weird, like seeing him kind of laugh off Volkanovski, uh, who I think definitely gives him awkward match is a kind of an awkward matchup a little bit. For Islam, um, uh, so I, I I don't think they'll I don't think they're overlooking him, but I think they're like oh we're gonna we're gonna take this seriously, but it's gonna be easy. I think is kind of the idea there, and I, I mean I want I if they took him easy oh man that sounds like just such a recipe for disaster for that camp. Can we read in anything into Volkanovski training with Craig Jones? Wow, that uh, I forgot about that. Um, I think that I think that's pretty interesting, actually. Uh, I think there is something to read into that. Craig Jones is pretty good sized dude. Uh, I mean, and I think we're going to find out how to. Yeah, he definitely knows how to grapple. Obviously, um, hmm. I I I think that's I think that's probably more so defensively. Like that's like I need you to help me with my my nightmare scenario kind of situation because I don't think that's where he wants this fight to be. Um, I'm in the similar boat to you. Volkanovski mm. can do it. There mm. is a pathway for him to win, but it's going to be incredibly tough. And I think if if Volkanovski was a natural 155er, I would give him more of a chance. I just think that size difference is going to be a little bit too much. And I see Mark Achev fourth round submission. Okay. I'm really tempted to just be the weird one and pick Volkanovski here. But first, I'm going to see if I can talk myself into it with the facts. Um, so I'm a short guy. Uh, I've mentioned it. I'm only 5'6". Five, 5'7 six. Five six. Five on a good day. 5'8 if I want to lie. And uh, 
And uh, but I, whenever I <clears throat> when I trained, when I grappled guys who were taller than me, I found it really easy to get underneath them and get them down myself. But I found it really tough for them to kind of do that to me. They really couldn't bully me in the wrestling when it came to doubles and singles and trying to get me down. Uh, I found that a little tougher. But where they always abused me was the clinch. Like, I feel like once they got a hold of me, I was getting flung. Uh, you know, so I wonder how that's going to be because Volkanovsky is going to be really hard to kind of get down. Um, Islam, with his footwork, he's a little smoother than Habib. He doesn't quite chase in a straight line like Habib will, but he's a little plotty in his footwork when he's pushing forward and putting the pressure on. And Volkanovsky has a very good defensive footwork. He can circle for hours, and he can go any direction, shifting stances, constantly giving you different looks uh, in his footwork. And I wonder if that's going to play a factor here. Um, because if he's able to kind of use his low center of gravity to stop Islam from getting a hold of him in the sh- uh, out in the open, stop him from getting underneath him with it uh, from like the doubles and singles, he's going to have to force Islam to walk into a clinch pot- potentially, which walking into a clinch against a guy who's loaded, ready to unleash a big counter strike could be a disaster. Um, but that said... I think if Islam gets the clinch, he's just going to fling Volkanovsky. Like, I think he's going to get taken off his feet. I think he's going to get put on the ground. And it's going to be on Volkanovsky to get back up. And I don't think I've ever seen anyone, like, really manhandle him on the ground. But if there's a guy who's going to do it, here we are. So I think I still kind of have to lean towards the bigger, stronger Islam. But I am rooting for Volkanovsky to win, and I would not be surprised if he proves us wrong. What I hope we don't see, I can inevitably see it happening. I don't want people to use this fight as an indicator. Like, in my opinion, the size difference is going to be the biggest factor in this fight. It's the main reason why Mm -hmm. I'm picking Markachev. And I just have this awful feeling that if Markachev was to win, the UFC are going to run this, oh, look, Islam beat the pound-for-pound best fighter in the world. He's now the pound-for-pound best fighter in the world. In my opinion, Volkanovski would still hold that title. Because mm. it's him fighting in a different weight class. In my Islam's number opinion. two. Who's number two? Like, it's it's Makachev. Yeah, yeah Makachev's number two. He went from un, not even in the pound for pound to number two, like that. Like it's it's so ridiculous to me. Yeah. But I think I think they're gonna make him flip. Like it's so crazy. Yeah. Uh, pound for pound rankings are a joke. I feel like. In my I mean, opinion. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one final tidbit though. Which, um, this is sort of more of a funny note. Uh, mm. Islam Markachev has one loss on his record. Adriana Martins. Yeah. Alexander Volkanovsky has one loss on his record, which was Corey Nelson. Why mm. hasn't a small regional promotion on the same day as 284 booked Adriana Martins versus Corey Nelson? I, I, I think that's actually... I think that's a money idea is what you do is you start looking at – you start taking the guys who have beaten these superstars and you make them fight. And you can name that promotion like MMA Math or something. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and you could have like all these like uh, – what is it? Um, it's like the guy who uh, – like Colby Covington, the guy who beat him, uh, Varley Alves. Varley Alves, yeah. Uh, yeah, Varley Alves beat him and then 
the guy who beat Kamara Usman on the regional scene, uh, uh, Colby Covington had also beaten, and then Kamara Usman had beaten Varley Alves. It's like, oh, that's kind of funny. Um, I think you could have those two match up. Why not? Like, it <laughs> sounds kind of funny. I think you could just have all these like crazy ones. You could go search down that uh, that John Jones guy that fought Parker Porter on there, and have him fight someone. <laughs> Uh, we'll need to find a. We'll need to find uh, some like great heavyweight to. Well, obvious one: Matt Hamill versus Francis Ngannou. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that would be a massacre. <sighs> I I feel like that. I feel like just the joke of it will put us in jail. We <laughs> like close our LLCs down and stuff. Our our business. That would be horrible. Our promoter's license would get yoinked just thinking about it. So before we land ourselves in any more trouble, I want to say <laughs> a big thank you to everyone who has sat and listened to us for the past uh, hour and three quarters, something like that. Um, mm-hmm. It has been a great pleasure. I personally thought we weren't going to be getting that much sort of mileage out of mm-hmm. this card. But got to say, though, we managed to get nearly two hours out of this. We had a lot of fun doing so. Um, your sort of optimism level for 284, how excited are you? Oh man, uh, I'm. I was not pumped until I did research. Like I was telling you before the we started recording. Uh, in doing research for this, I went actually, this isn't as open shut of a matchups as I thought, and it got really interesting to me. I think these last three fights on this main card have my excitement level, admittingly more than 283, but 283 was a better card for on paper. Uh, in fairness, one final thing before we say our goodbyes, though. Uh, you do have a retro review, which is coming on on the main channel. And quite appropriately, with Volkanovski going for a second belt, we're going to be looking at a classic event where an MMA dual champ was crowned. So our mm-hmm. nominees, UFC 205, which was Conor McGregor beating Eddie Alvarez. 226, Daniel Cormier versus Stipe Miocic. 238, Henry Cejudo versus Marlon Marais. And Pride 33, Dan Henderson versus Vanderlei Silva. The votes are in. You've done the recording. Which one will we be watching on Wednesday? Uh, it's 205. Uh, UFC 205 won. Uh, nothing against the voters. It wasn't what I wanted to win. But you know what? It reminded me how much I love Wonder Boy Woodley won. It's, yeah. a, it's a really good fight. It's a good card to cover. Like Personally, yeah. I was rooting for Pride 33, but I can't fault 205. Very historically important event. Obviously, we were back in... Mm-hmm. New York for the first time in like two decades so um, I think you made a really good choice there um, mm-hmm. we're going to hopefully fingers crossed see what happens with the retro review um, I have a statement regarding that which will be coming out on the main channel in due course uh, mm-hmm. but I do want to say uh, thank you very much for tuning in to watch us here uh, my name has been Carl Bainbridge that's been Joe Neal yep. uh, we hope you enjoy UFC 284 and we will be back next month the UFC 285 and the title match that everybody's looking forward to Valentina Shevchenko versus Alexa Grosso. Of course, yeah. This is the INC. Absolutely. Thank you very much for watching. <laughs>